Today, our final study in our Be Strong series, we're in 2 Peter 3, verse 17 and 18. Let's pray and we'll dive into this. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you for the grace that we have, Lord, in you, that you have given us what we need in order to stand strong in the battle and to run this race that we are running in a way that we would run to win. So God, we pray today that your word would go forth in power and through the ministry of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. At the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, the last of the marathon runners were being carried off to the first aid stations about an hour after the winner had crossed the finish line. There was just a few spectators who were left in the stands when all of a sudden they started to hear the sirens of police cars and the whistles of police cars, and they turned their attention toward the gate when suddenly they saw John Stephen Akawari wearing the colors of Tanzania limping into the stadium. His leg was bloodied and bandaged from a bad fall, And he hobbled his way around the track and toward the finish line. And as he did, the crowd arose and applauded him like he had just won the race. Someone asked him why he didn't just quit after his bad fall, since he had no chance of winning the race and it was going to take him so long to finish. And this was his response. He said, My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. You know, it's been said, it's not how you start the race that matters the most, but it's how you finish it. That's what matters. That's what counts. And the same thing could be said about the Christian life. And Peter is writing here to believers that he wants to see finish well. Finish strong. You see, Jesus didn't give us, didn't give his life so that we could merely start the Christian life. He gave his life so that we could finish it, and he wants to see us finish it strong. Now, we've seen here in chapter one that Peter told us that we've been given everything that we need by Jesus in order to finish the race strong. He put it this way, that he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In chapter two, we saw that Peter revealed to us what we needed to be watching out for as we were running this race, that there were false teachers out there seeking to trip us up. And then in chapter 3, he told us what our focus needs to be on as we run this race. It's the reality that Jesus is coming back soon and we need to be ready. We need to be focused and we need to not be distracted so that when he comes, this is how Peter put it, we would be found by him in peace. Well, as Peter concludes this letter, he gives us three things to keep in mind that are meant to help us finish strong. Look at verse 17 and 18. He says, you therefore, beloved, Since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. 
But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter gives us here what I call the three G's for finishing strong. Guarding, growing, and glorifying. And I want you to notice that there's a progression in these three terms. You see, as you guard yourself from spiritual error, it's going to help you to be steadfast. And as you're steadfast, you are going to be growing in your relationship with the Lord. And as you are growing in your relationship with the Lord, you are going to be glorifying Him. And that is the chief purpose of our lives. So let's consider these terms. Let's start with what Peter says here about guarding. Notice verse 17 again. He says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, and he's drawing us back here to everything that he's been saying about the false teachers that want to trip us up, about the coming of Jesus that we need to be ready for. He says, Knowing this, knowing this beforehand, beware. That word beware could be translated be on guard lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. In 1976, in November of 1976, the first Rocky movie came out. How many of you are Rocky fans? Okay, I love the Rocky movies, all except for number five. Salome was just too, too old in that one, you know? But I love those Rocky movies, and after seeing number one, I got to tell you, I was inspired. And so I determined after seeing that first um, movie that the next morning I was going to get up really, really early, and I was going to start my running routine, that I was going to start running. And the thing is, I hate running, but I was inspired. So I was like, man, I am going to do this. And I even had a pair of those old gray sweats, you know, that, that Stallone used to wear, you know, in the movie. So I put on my sweats and I put on my black beanie and I started out on my run before the sun was even up. And I got, I, I started off great. I'm going a few blocks from my house. I got a great stride going and I hit the park by my house and it was, you know, pitch black. Couldn't see anything. And so I'm running on this path, and that's when I heard it. Off in the distance, there in the park, I heard some dogs barking. And it sounded like they were coming in my direction. I didn't know if it was a pack of dogs or a pack of coyotes, but you know what I did? I turned around, and I ran as fast as I could back home and got back in bed. But I determined knowing, like Peter says, knowing beforehand, knowing what was out there, I determined, okay, if this is going to happen, I'm going to need a different strategy. I'm either going to have to run at a different time when I can actually see, or I'm going to have to take a different route in running so to avoid being eaten by these vicious dogs, you know? Well, this is Peter's idea here. He's no, he says, knowing beforehand. In other words, knowing that the enemy is out there to trip us up, we need to beware. We need to be on guard. We need to be paying attention to how we are running and where we are running. In other words, we need to have a strategy. That we're not just running aimlessly, in other words, but we're focused on a goal. Paul put it this way in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, when you run, run to win. 
You're not just running to run, but you are running to win. And this is how the Lord wants us to approach this, that that we would be running, being aware of the schemes of the enemy, aware of the lies of the false teachers, aware that there are things out there that are seeking to trip us up, that we would be on guard so that we would remain steadfast. So that's number one. We need to be on guard. Second thing he says is that he wants us to grow. You see, the Christian life is not meant to be a lot of starts and stops. It's not a sprint. It's actually more of a long-distance run. And we need to be committed for the long haul. You see, the Christian life was never meant to be one in which we become stagnant. The Lord wants us to always be growing, always be moving forward in the Lord. You know, in 2018, after my hip replacement surgery, I had the privilege in my rehab of working with a personal trainer. And being an athlete, or I used to be, being used to be an athlete, uh, I worked out a lot. Working out was a part of my life, but I had never ever trained with a personal trainer before, and so this was a real treat. And this is what I discovered in working with this personal trainer, is he pushed me in ways that I would never ever push myself. And the goal was always growing and improving in my sets and in my reps and in my exercises. Well, the Christian life is meant to be the same way. The Lord wants us to always be growing, never standing still, never being content with the status quo. And we have a great spiritual trainer. He's called the Holy Spirit. And he has a goal for our lives. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it tells us what God's goal is for us. What the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in our lives is to transform us into the image of His own dear Son. In other words, it's to make us more like Jesus. Paul put it this way in another one of his books, that we would become complete in Christ. That's the goal. Listen, the goal for you as a Christian is not to become a better version of yourself. No, the goal is to make you more like Jesus. It's to conform you into the image of Christ. It's being transformed by our spiritual personal trainer, the Holy Spirit, so that we're always growing, always moving forward in the faith, always going deeper in our relationship with Christ and becoming more like him. Now, Peter says here that there's an area that we need to be growing in. Look at verse 18. He he puts it this way, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants us to be growing in grace. Paul the Apostle emphasized this idea of grace as well. When he wrote to his young protege, Timothy, he put it this way in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. He said to Timothy, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In fact, the last phrase in the entire Bible ends on this same note of grace. In Revelation 22 verse 21, it says, The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The word grace appears 137 times in the pages of Scripture. Grace is a major theme in the Bible, and it's a key to the Christian life. But what is grace? Well, grace is God's unmerited, 
undeserved and unearned favor. Grace is God giving and blessing, not because of what you've done, not because of what you are doing, but in spite of what you've done and in spite of what you are doing. Grace is receiving unmerited favor, unearned blessing, and undeserved kindness from the Lord. In fact, there's a great acrostic for the word grace. It means God's riches, or I like to say God's resources, at Christ's expense. And the idea is that all the blessings and all the riches and all the resources that come into our life from God, they come into our life through the conduit of God's grace. So Peter wants us to be growing in the grace of God. And I think there's three aspects of grace that we need to be growing in as followers of Jesus. The first aspect is what I would call saving grace. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, what Paul is telling us is that we have been saved by grace. In other words, there's no boasting, there's no boasting that we should have for our salvation because salvation is purely the work of God. Because you see, God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. That in His grace, He saw us when we were in our sin, separated from Him, doomed for damnation, and He, through His grace, did something for us that we didn't deserve. He dispatched His Son, Jesus, to leave heaven and come to this earth for the very purpose that He would go to a cross, and on that cross, He would pay the price for our sins. That He would die in our place. And then in His grace, He's given us the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin and our need of a Savior. And His Holy Spirit is drawing, seeking to draw us into relationship with God. And all we have to do is to respond. And so if you're a Christian here today, you are sitting here today saved, going to heaven for one reason and one reason only, the grace of God. He extended to us undeserved, unmerited, and unearned favor. And when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any of us saying, you should see what I did to get here. No, we're all going to be thanking God for His amazing grace. But here's the thing. It's important that we keep growing in this understanding of God's saving grace And the realization that there's nothing we can do to add to the grace of God. You see, after we've been walking with Jesus for a while, there's a trap that we can find ourselves falling into. And the trap is this. It's this idea that we need to be doing things in order to earn God's love or to earn God's favor. I call it the performance-based acceptance mentality. That if we just perform the right way, that it is going to make God love us more. And so we think things like this. If I just read enough of the Bible, 
or I just pray enough, or I just, you fill in the blank, God is going to love me more. It's that performance-based acceptance treadmill, and once you get on it, it's hard to get off. But here's what you need to understand. God's love for you does not waver. Listen, Christian disciplines, Christian disciplines are things like reading God's Word and praying, things like that. Christian discipline is amazing. It is helpful to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. It is definitely a part of that transformation that the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in our lives. But Christian disciplines does not affect your favor with God at all. God's not like, wow, Rob read five chapters today of Leviticus. I think I'm really going to bless him, you know? And he's not the flip side of that. It's not like, man, Rob hasn't prayed for the lost in like three days. I think I'm going to make his car break down, you know? No, that's not God. He doesn't operate like that. He's not like Santa Claus, you know, seeking to check all the time who's naughty and, and who's nice. And so when I'm growing in my understanding of saving grace... I'm reminded that I am at favor with God for one reason only, because I have been, been placed in Christ. Now, when you gave your life to Jesus, this is what God did. He took you out of your sin, and he placed you in his son, and now he looks at you through his son Jesus. You're covered in the righteousness of Jesus, and when he looks at you, he looks at you with a heart full of love. He sees me as his son. He sees you ladies as his daughter. And he loves you and he is with you and he is for you. And your performance doesn't affect his love for you. So we need to constantly be growing in our understanding of this saving grace. And avoid getting tripped up and thinking that we need to somehow add to what Jesus has done in order for God to love us more. Remember, that was the problem the Galatians fell into. They had these guys that had crept into the church after these people had gotten saved, and, and they said, hey, if you really, really want to have favor with God, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Remember how Paul dealt with them? Paul said that those who would say that, let them be accursed, he said. And then he went even further and said, I, I would hope that those guys who are saying that you need to be circumcised, that when they're circumcising themselves, that they would castrate themselves. That's what he said. That's how blunt he was. He's heavy. Because Paul was so strong and wanted us to be strong in the reality that, hey, there is nothing that we can do to add to the work of Christ. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he's hanging there? He didn't say Almost done. No. He didn't say, I did my part. No, what did he say? It's finished. It's done. The work of salvation is complete, and there's nothing that you can do to add to it. So we are to be growing in our knowledge of saving grace and the completeness of it. But we also need to be growing in what I would call sustaining grace. It's what Peter referred to in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. He called it the grace in which we stand. And Peter learned this the hard way. 
You see, Peter is what I would call a can-do guy. You know those kind of people? I can do it. I've got this. That was Peter. When it came to his relationship with Jesus, he tried to serve Jesus in his own strength. He tried to stand for Jesus in his own strength, and he failed miserably. Remember on the night when Jesus was going to the cross, he was going to be betrayed, and the next day he would go to the cross. Well, that night he's meeting with his disciples, and he said, all of you tonight are going to forsake me. Remember what Peter did? Peter stands up and says, not me. The rest of these guys, they might forsake you, but Lord, I am ready to die for you. And you remember what happened. That night, Peter ended up denying that he even knew Jesus three times. You know, it's been said that when a man comes to the end of himself, he gets to the beginning of God. And that night, Peter came to the end of himself. After he denied Jesus, it was then that he discovered that I can't follow Jesus and serve Jesus in my own strength. Peter was stripped of his pride, which is really a key. It's why Peter would later write in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he would say, be clothed in humility. Clothe yourself with humility. And here's why, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, Peter came to realize the only way that I'm going to be able to stand is through God's grace. That I stand through his favor and through his resources being supplied to my life. And it's through his grace that we stand, my friends. And it's through his grace that we serve and we walk. And this is why we always need to be growing in the grace of God. You know, a lot of Christians are up and down and all around in their walks. Their Christian life resembles a a roller coaster, going great one moment and then upside down the next. But guys, the Lord wants us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the Lord. He wants us to stand strong. Paul, he emphasized this idea of standing strong in Ephesians chapter 6. Let me read that to you. He says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We're living in that day right now. That you would be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Do you get the idea? He's emphasizing, hey, we have been meant to stand. And Peter tells us it's in his grace. It's through his grace that we stand. Sustaining grace is about dependency. It's recognizing that my strength comes from the Lord. That I stand not in the power of my might, but in the power of his might. And it really starts with admitting that I can't stand on my own. It's admitting, Lord, I don't got this. 
It's daily humbling ourselves to say, Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. It's admitting that in order to be the husbands or the wives or the parents or a Christian witness or a follower of Jesus that that the Lord is calling us to be, that we can't do that in our own strength, but that we can only do that through the grace of God and through the power of God. And God has made available to us what we need to stand strong in His grace. But unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians who are not standing strong in grace. In fact, we live in a Christian culture today where people like to use this idea of grace as an excuse to not stand. In fact, I know people who have used the idea of God's grace to leave a marriage because they're unhappy. And they say things like, you know what? God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy, and so I'm going to walk out on my family, or I'm going to end this marriage, even though they have no grounds whatsoever to file for divorce, but they say, God wants me, he's gracious, and he wants me to be happy. Or I know people who use the grace of God as an excuse to continue struggling in sinful behavior engaging in sexual immorality, engaging in pornography, and they say to themselves, oh, God understands my struggle, and he's gracious, and he will forgive me. And people today even use the idea of God's grace to show tolerance towards sinful behavior in our society where things like, you know, those who are engaged in homosexuality or those who are engaged in adultery, they'll say, well, God is gracious and he understands those people in their struggle and he will accept them anyway. Listen, friends, listen to this. It is true that God is gracious and he is compassionate and he loves sinners That's why he sent Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to come and rescue sinners and to set people free who were in bondage to sin. But know this, grace is never ever a license for sin. And this idea that I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'll just ask God for forgiveness, that's a misuse and misunderstanding of his grace. And here's a verse about grace that a lot of Christians ignore. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul wrote this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that. Notice, the grace of God is teaching us something. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. This is what Paul's saying. The grace of God is teaching us something. It's seeking to move us in the direction of what it means to live righteously. What it means to deny ungodliness, that which goes against God's will, and to turn away from worldly lust. And friends, that's the work that the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in us every single day. He's always seeking to be moving us in that direction of becoming more like Jesus. Because Jesus is more interested in your holiness than your happiness. Because you see, Jesus knows that holiness actually leads to happiness. Because the Bible says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. 
And the idea there is he's the Lord. He's the king. He's the one that I'm surrendered to. And those people are those who are happy. And so Paul says here, and he continues, notice he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it's teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then he continues, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Paul is saying the grace of God is teaching us and training us concerning what it looks like to live righteously and to stand for truth as we await our Lord's return. So we need to continue to grow in sustaining grace, the grace in which we stand. But there's one more that we need to continue to grow in, and that is God's sufficient grace. And Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul was describing there an affliction that he was going through. He called it a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, that just made his life miserable. And Paul said, I prayed on three different occasions that God would remove it. And this is what Jesus said to me, he said. Jesus said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, listen, when you're weak, that's when you're going to experience my strength the most. Paul heard that, and this was his response. He says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sufficient grace is when I realize and remember that his power, the power of Jesus, is made perfect in my weakness. And it's his sufficient grace that equips me then to step out of my comfort zone, to step out in faith, and allow God to use my life in ways that I could never even imagine. You know, I used to say things like, Oh, God couldn't, I, I could never do that. Or God could never use me in that way. In fact, the very idea of being a pastor was the farthest thing from my mind. Because the men who were the pastors in my life, they were gifted, they were articulate, they were really, really smart. And I thought, man, I am nothing like those guys. But it was then that God said to me, Rob, I'm not looking for ability I'm looking for availability. Just make yourself available and watch and see what I can do. You know, until I was 25 years old, I had never been out of the country. Except for one time when my dad took me around the time I was about 10 years old, he took me on a trip down to Mexico for a few days. But prior to that, I had never, ever been, or up until I was 25, never, ever been out of the country. To date, I have been in 27 different countries around the world where God has taken me to use me in ways that I could never even fathom. You know, years ago, I had a friend say to me, he said, you're going to be a pastor to pastors. And I thought to myself, you're nuts. You have no idea what you're talking about. 
Well, God has taken me all over the world to equip pastors and teach pastors and train pastors and help them grow in their ministries. And it absolutely blows my mind. Remember what Paul said? Paul said that our sufficiency, it's not in ourselves. Our sufficiency, it's in the Lord. And knowing his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness should encourage us to be willing to take risks. To be like Jonathan in his armor bearer and say, hey, let's just see what the Lord might want to do. I feel like God's kind of calling me, you know, in this way. I have no idea why, but hey, let's just go see what he might want to do and watch how he blows your So we need to grow in his sufficient grace. The grace that allows us to be used by God. And we do that, friends, by answering the call. By answering what God is calling us to get involved in. And not making excuses, but just saying, Okay, Lord, here I am. I'm available. Now I want you to notice that Peter says that we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And here's what I want you to catch in this. Growing in grace is actually the key to growing in knowledge. And here's why I say that. The word knowledge that Peter uses here, he's speaking of a knowledge that comes from experience. He's not talking about intellectual knowledge. He's talking about we're experiencing Jesus. And as we grow in grace... And as we stand in grace, and as we serve in grace, here's what happens. Jesus shows up. And he reveals himself to us in those settings, and in those circumstances, and in those opportunities. We experience Jesus in a fresh way. You know, James, the Apostle James, he he talked about, he called it the manifold trials that we go through. And that word manifold, everybody say manifold. Manifold means many colors. Many colored. And that's true, right? I mean, you've been, a lot of you have been walking with the Lord long enough that you know trials come in a lot of different colors. They're not the same all the time. But then Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he talks about the manifold grace of God. In other words, the many-colored grace of God. And I love to put these two ideas together because as James talking about, hey, yeah, there's many trials that come in many different colors, but there's also the grace of God that's available to meet every single color in every single situation. And if you want to be used by God, you're going to go through trials. It comes with the territory. But the more that you seek to walk in the sufficiency of his grace and allow Jesus to show himself strong in your weakness, you're going to discover the manifold, the many color, the many sides of God's grace because Jesus is going to show up in those moments in the sufficiency of his grace and you're going to experience his power being made perfect in your weakness. It happens every single time we step out of our comfort zones, every single time that we step out in faith and just say, Lord, here I am, you can use me. Through that experience, we grow in the knowledge of Jesus. And as we grow in the knowledge of Jesus, the third G happens, we find that Jesus is being glorified in and through our lives. And guys, that's the goal. 
That's the goal. That our lives would bring Him much glory. So the three G's of finishing strong, we guard ourselves to remain steadfast. We grow in grace, saving grace, sustaining grace, the sufficiency of His grace. And as we do that, Jesus will be glorified in and through your life. Now as we wrap up today, we're going to celebrate communion. And as we do, what we're doing is celebrating the salvation that comes to us through the grace of God. That God, through His grace, when we were His enemies, sent His Son Jesus to come and die in our place. To come and rescue us from our sin. And to make a way for us to come into a relationship with God. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never, ever experienced God's saving grace, I want to encourage you today to open up your heart and embrace what Jesus did for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in what he did in order to set you free. But maybe you're here today and you have been using the grace of God as a license for your sin, as an excuse for sinful behavior. Hey, if that's you, I want to encourage you, you need to repent of that today. The word repent means to do a 180. So you're going to turn from your sin, turn from that idea, and you're going to turn to Jesus. And you're going to say, Lord, I want you to help me be, to, to, to stand strong in your grace. I want to grab a hold of what you've given me in order to stand strong. But maybe you're here today and you've been trying to function in your own strength. And you're failing. You need to tell the Lord today, and as we partake of communion, this is what, what you need to be saying in your heart is, Lord, I, I understand, and I need to grab a hold of today, the sufficiency of your grace. I'm weak, and I need your grace to be my strength, to help me in this area, Lord, where I have been struggling. Or maybe you're here today and you've been falling into that, you've fallen into that trap of performance-based acceptance. You're trying to do all these things right now and hoping that God is going to love you more, that you're going to earn brownie points with Him, and He wants you today to rest in the reality that He sees you in Jesus, that you are in His favor, that He loves you, and He wants you to rest in that and walk in that grace today and then let that be the motivation for everything that you do we need to be growing constantly in the grace of god amen let's pray together lord we thank you so much for your saving grace that made a way for us who were sinners who were lost who were damned on our way to hell to be rescued as we embrace the work of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the grace that enables us to stand strong against temptation and strong against the enemy. And we thank you, Lord, for the sufficiency of your grace that enables us to serve you with our lives in ways like we could never, ever imagine. And Jesus, as we partake today of these elements, the bread and the cup, we do so thanking you for your tremendous, amazing grace 
in which we're saved.